This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast contains seasonal Wham! content. Whamageddon players' discretion is advised. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Welcome back to Hit Parade, a podcast of pop chart history from Slate Magazine about the hits from coast to coast. I'm Chris Melanfi, chart analyst, pop critic, and writer of Slate's Why Is This Song Number One series. On our last episode, we talked about how perennial Christmas hits, especially in the streaming era, are changing our perceptions of certain holiday hitmakers and overshadowing their other, bigger chart hits from yesteryear. Whether these acts stumbled into a Christmas hit, like Gene Autry or Jose Feliciano, or eagerly embraced their new jolly persona, like Darlene Love, these chestnut roasters, as I call them, are potent every December on the radio and Spotify to this day. In our second part of the episode, I'll dive deeper into this airplay and streaming data to show just how holiday hits have rebooted the careers of some pop legends. Last holiday season, in the same week that Donny Hathaway's This Christmas made the American Top 40 for the very first time, over in the United Kingdom, the official charts company announced a similarly improbable feat. This 37-year-old song had finally topped the British chart for the first time. And, well, Whamageddon players, you've been warned. Last Christmas, go ahead, sing along if you like, was recorded in 1984 by the duo of George Michael and Andrew Ridgely, then known as Wham. Laura Snapes, critic for The Guardian, aptly calls the single, quote, a high watermark of mid-80s British synth-pop songcraft. And, as I discussed in one of our earliest Hit Parade episodes about the career of George Michael, it's one of very few songs in the final decades of the 20th century to wind up in the holiday music canon. It's been covered by countless vocalists over the years, including, quite recently, Ariana Grande. But 
all of this would have been hard to predict in 1984, due to the oddball place Last Christmas has in Wham's rise to fame. For starters, Last Christmas sounded nothing like the hits George Michael and Andrew Ridgely had broken with, including their UK debut, 1982's Young Guns, or their first US hit, 1983's Bad Boys, which peaked at a lowly number 60 on the Hot 100. Neither of these songs would wind up as perennials for Wham. The following year, however, Michael and Ridgely really switched up the formula with the lead single from their second album. That album was called Make It Big, and this single did just that to Wham. Wake me up before you go, go, believe me, I bring up the jitterbugging Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go for a few reasons. For one thing, it gave Wham their first number one on both sides of the Atlantic. For another, it remains one of their most popular year-round radio staples. Their other reliable golden oldie is the single that came directly after Go-Go, the sax-drenched soul ballad Careless Whisper. Considered a George Michael solo single in the UK, it was credited in America to Wham! featuring George Michael. These two blockbuster singles are a useful control group for our experiment in measuring holiday versus non-holiday songs' legacies. Both of these songs are still bigger on the radio in America than Last Christmas is. According to MRC data, in 2020, the last full calendar year, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go was spun by DJs more than 60,000 times over 12 months. Careless Whisper, more than 52,000 times. That's compared with just 40,000 spins for last Christmas. Tell me, baby, do you recognize me? Well, it's been a year, it doesn't surprise me. So why does last Christmas seem, to some, so oppressively omnipresent every holiday season? So much so that they've created a game out of trying to avoid it. Well, consider that practically all of those 40,000 annual radio spins for Last Christmas came in the last two months of 2020. If we average out annual plays for Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, it gets spun throughout the year about 5,000 times a month nationwide. Whereas, the concentrated two-month play for Last Christmas is more like 20,000 plays a month, just in November and December. That's a whole lot of George Michael giving it to someone special. I'll give it to someone special, special. For another thing, Last Christmas only seems to be getting bigger. On streaming services, it's easily Wham's all-time biggest hit, thanks to its omnipresence on pre-programmed Christmas playlists. 
By the way, this automated playback, picture what happens when you tell Alexa or Siri, play some Christmas music. That explains why a lot of the holiday chestnuts I'm discussing in this episode have blown up in the last five years. On Spotify, lifetime streams of Last Christmas are about 40 to 60% higher than those of GoGo or Whisper, respectively. In 2020 alone, plays for Christmas across all streaming services dwarfed those for GoGo two to one. All of this is remarkable given how out of step Last Christmas now is with its original chart performance, or lack thereof. In the U.S. in 1984, Last Christmas didn't chart at all, as it was only issued as a B-side here, at a time when B-sides typically didn't chart. In the U.K., Last Christmas was big, but it never originally hit number one. It was issued in a so-called double A-side single just before the 84 holiday season, paired with the slow-burning R&B lament, Everything She Wants. In Britain, as we've explained in several prior Hit Parade episodes, Last Christmas slash Everything She Wants got stuck at number two behind Band-Aid's enormous charity mega-single Do They Know It's Christmas. So when, at the end of 2020, Last Christmas finally reached number one in the UK, it was a big deal. Impossible as this may be to believe, Whamageddoners, there seem to be people who are only recently learning of the existence of Last Christmas. And while the late George Michael's solo career might continue on its own track, It is definitely conceivable that, a decade or two from now, Last Christmas is the song written and sung by George Michael that will be best known to Generation Alpha, or whatever we're calling them in the 2030s. We can do this same kind of data comparison radio spins and Spotify streams versus original chart performance for a range of chestnut roasters that you might be hearing at the holidays right now. Let's start small. For example, 80s new wavers The Waitresses only ever had one Hot 100 hit, 1982's delightfully snide I Know What Boys Like. I like to tease them. But even a one-hit wonder can become better known for a different song. 1981's Christmas Wrapping now generates the overwhelming bulk of the waitress's activity. 3,300 radio plays a year, to be precise, versus less than 500 for I Know What Boys Like. That's about a 6 to 1 ratio in spins, and their streaming ratio is closer to 9 to 1. So deck those halls, trim those trees, raise up cups of Christmas cheer. I 
Okay, what about a much bigger group? As I speak, the Eagles are playing somewhere in America, and it's probably Hotel California. But the 70s rock dominators, founded by Don Henley and the late Glenn Fry, do have a Christmas perennial in their catalog, a cover of Charles Brown's Please Come Home for Christmas, a number 18 Hot 100 hit for the Eagles in 1978. Come home for Christmas. Please come home for Christmas. If not for Christmas, by New Year's night. And today, the Eagles' Please Come Home for Christmas was spun 31,000 times on the radio in 2020 and streamed 52 million times. Those numbers sound huge, and they are. But not for the Eagles. That's only about a third as many spins and streams as Hotel California pulls annually. Among the group's other catalog material, their Christmas song runs about neck and neck these days with 1977's cautionary tale, Life in the Fast Lane. So, sorry, all you Lebowski dudes out there. The Eagles are probably going to be known for more than one song for a long time to come, and not just in December. Go ahead and drown your sorrows with a white Russian. As for turn-of-the-millennium hitmakers, it might take a while to determine whether their catalogs will be snowed under by the holidays. If you're a jazzy or classically trained crooner, like, say, Harry Connick Jr., Josh Groban, or Michael Buble, Have a holly jolly Christmas, it's the best time of the year. It's pretty predictable that your long-term traffic will be in holiday fare. All three of these men's Christmas albums are their respective bestseller. Buble's Christmas LP, in particular, returns to the top five on the Billboard 200 album chart every year. And on Spotify, even though Buble is the rare modern trad pop crooner who scored big radio hits, like 2010's number 24 pop, number one AC hit, Haven't Met You Yet, that song's lifetime streaming total is less than half that of Buble's It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. But the prettiest sight to see is the holly that will be on your own front door. For mainstream pop stars whose careers coincided with the streaming era, it may be decades before we know how their holiday fare shakes out. Ariana Grande's infectious Santa Tell Me is widely considered the closest thing the 2010s had to a new Christmas perennial. Santa, tell me if you're really there. Don't make me fall in love again if you won't be here next year. 
But as massive as its lifetime streams are, 600 million, according to Spotify, that's hundreds of millions less than such RE chart toppers as Thank You Next, Seven Rings, and Positions. The long view is what's key. Maybe by 2050, for Grande, Santa Tell Me will have outlasted all of her many hits. For contrast, since Grande has been called Baby Mariah anyway, let's consider how Ms. Mariah Carey, the self-proclaimed queen of Christmas, is faring these days. Folks, I went as long as I could in this episode before playing the song you probably already heard today sometime before breakfast. All I Want for Christmas Is You is about to go to number one on the Hot 100 for its third holiday season in a row. That is, unless Adele has a mind to stop Mariah. In our Christmas 2019 episode of Hit Parade, we talked about how the elusive Chanteuse pulled off the coup of scoring a 19th career Hot 100 number one hit with a quarter-century-old song. But remember, Carrie has 18 other number one hits. Is her 19th number one, the holiday hit, going to eclipse all of them? Year-round, Carrie's biggest non-seasonal hit is the 1996 chart-topper Always Be My Baby. In 2020, U.S. terrestrial radio spun it almost 43,000 times. That is less than All I Want for Christmas Is You, which radio spun about 53,000 times that year. So, about a 24% gap. But that gap is nothing compared to what's happening to Mariah's catalog on streaming services. Remember all those pre-programmed Christmas playlists I mentioned earlier, virtually all of which feature Mariah. In 2020, All I Want for Christmas Is You was streamed a stunning 248 million times. That's a Drake number. And here's the kicker. That's more annual streams than Carrie's Always Be My Baby, plus her We Belong Together, plus Fantasy, plus One Sweet Day. Combined. Forget 2050 or 2030 or 2025, Mariah Carey, the woman with the most number ones of any soloist in Hot 100 history, is already mostly consumed at Christmas. But surely that won't happen to the only act with more number ones on the Hot 100 than Mariah, the band that, thanks to Peter Jackson's Get Back, we're all a little obsessed with this holiday season.
Rebel Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Let's be clear. There is little danger that the Beatles' mainstream catalog will ever be eclipsed by a Christmas song. Not one by the Fab Four, anyway. Several Beatles tracks, like Come Together and Hey Jude, are spun tens of thousands of times per year and streamed tens of millions. It also helps that the Beatles never really recorded a proper Christmas song. Their 1967 track, Christmas Time Is Here Again, was basically a throwaway, only issued to their fan club at the time and not even currently available on Spotify. But the solo Beatles? That's where things get interesting. Because both John Lennon and Paul McCartney recorded original Christmas songs that have exploded over the years. For Lennon, Radio programmers are selective. His classic, Jealous Guy, is played on the radio only a few hundred times each year. Woman, a couple thousand times. Woman, I know you understand. 
Where's Lennon's most famous solo single, the world peace anthem Imagine, a number three hit in 1971. In 2020, it was spun by DJs more than 20,000 times and streamed an unusually large 54 million times, driven in part by the pandemic and by the 40th anniversary of Lennon's 1980 passing. Imagine there's no heaven. But even in a quote, normal year, Imagine gets played a lot. In 2019, the last pre-pandemic year, radio airplay for Imagine was essentially identical to 2020's, and its streams were nearly 41 million, still pretty huge. Imagine all the people living for today. So, how does that compare to the consumption of another 1971 Peacenik single by Lennon and wife Yoko Ono, an anti-war holiday perennial that came complete with a children's chorus? Happy Christmas, War Is Over was spun by DJs nearly 25,000 times in 2019 and streamed 57 million times, both numbers considerably larger than those for Imagine. For the record, in 2020, the radio gap between Happy Christmas and Imagine was even bigger. To sum up, John Lennon still hasn't become an exclusively Christmas-fueled artist, but he's gradually getting there. What about his former bandmate? Baby, I'm amazed the way you love me all the time. Maybe I'm afraid of the way I love you. Paul McCartney's post-Beatles catalog, both solo and with wings, does well on the radio. His 1970 classic, Maybe I'm Amazed, got more than 37,000 spins in 2020, and the Wings theme for the James Bond film Live and Let Die was played about 33,000 times. Makes you give in and cry. Say, Live and Let Die. Compare those numbers with Paul's 1979 synthesized sticky pudding, Wonderful Christmas Time. With 33,000 spins in 2020 alone, it scored about as much airplay as both Maybe I'm Amazed and Live and Let Die. That's already pretty remarkable. A twee keyboard ditty Paul tossed off, one that didn't even chart at Christmas of 79, getting spun about as much as his biggest hits. But that's just the radio. On streaming services? Whew. Mother Mary, bar the door. Wonderful Christmas Time racked up 72 million streams in 2020 alone, 
more than double that of Lennon and Ono's anthem, and more than Paul's own Maybe I'm Amazed, Live and Let Die, and Band on the Run combined. As with Mariah Carey, it is not too extreme to say Paul McCartney has gone fully to the merry side. Still, Mariah, John, Paul, these larger-than-life luminaries are in no real danger of being forgotten from January through October. Neither really will Darlene Love or even Wham. But there's one artist I haven't covered yet who stands as, I would argue, the ultimate chestnut roaster, her reputation now riding on not just a single season, but a single song which is only notable because, more than 60 years ago, she was one of the biggest acts on the charts, period. Brenda May Tarpley, born into deep poverty in Atlanta, Georgia in 1944, began singing professionally as young as five and appearing on television at ten. In between those two milestones, her father died when Brenda was eight, making her the family's breadwinner. By age 11, Brenda was signed to Decca Records and adopted the stage name Brenda Lee. Lee never grew taller than four foot nine. So when, at age 12, she recorded the cracking rockabilly song Dynamite, the industry nicknamed Brenda Little Miss Dynamite. Even at that tender age, Lee was a spitfire. Her singles, like the telephone number song Bigelow 6200, had remarkable grit. At a time when Queen of Rockabilly Wanda Jackson was revolutionizing the role of women in both rock and roll and country. Brenda Lee was doing much the same, nearly a decade younger than Wanda Jackson. One Step at a Time garnered airplay for Lee on both Top 40 and Country Radio in 1957. Lee finally had her major breakthrough at the end of 1959 with Sweet Nothings, a remarkably self-assured single that made both the Hot 100 and the R&B chart number four on the pop side, number 12 on the R&B side. And the track opened very memorably. Keep in mind, Lee was still only 15 years old. Uh-huh, honey. All right. My baby whispers in my ear. If you're a millennial or Gen Z listener and that opening sounds familiar, that's because Kanye West sampled it on Bound 2, his 2013 ode to future wife Kim Kardashian. By the start of the 60s, 
Brenda Lee was fully established as a teen idol at a time when most teen idols were boys. And she parlayed that image into her first chart-topping hit, the unrequited love weeper, I'm Sorry, produced by Owen Bradley, pioneer of the countrypolitan sound made famous by Patsy Cline, I'm Sorry topped the Hot 100 in July 1960. I'm sorry, so sorry. Even its B-side was a smash, and it showed Lee's versatility. The assertive, that's all you gotta do, reached number six. Three months later, Brenda Lee had her second number one hit, an adaptation of an Italian song, Per Tutta la Vita, that was anglicized as I want to be wanted. Alone, so alone that I could cry. I want to be wanted. Alone. Striking while the iron was hot, Decca Records chose late 1960 to re release a single Brenda Lee had recorded back when she was 13 and that had flopped during the holiday seasons of both 1958 and 1959. Now that Lee was famous, they figured they'd have better luck. It was not only produced by, yet again, Owen Bradley, it was written by Johnny Marks, the same man who'd penned Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer for Gene Autry. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree encapsulated everything that was great about Brenda Lee. It had teen idol energy. She sings Marx's lyrics about a Christmas party hop. And a rockabilly sound that was both country-friendly and pop-conversant. And, as usual for her, Lee's sassy voice was wise beyond her years. As Decca suspected, the third time was the charm for Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Re-released in November 1960, it finally cracked the top 40 in December, peaking at number 14 in a brief four-week chart run. So, a truly excellent Christmas single that, nonetheless, missed the top 10, handicapped by the abbreviated chart runs most holiday songs experienced. For Brenda Lee, it was a speed bump. Within weeks, in early 1961, she was back in the top 10 with another stately ballad, Emotions. You've got me crying, crying again. Between 1960 and 1963, Brenda Lee strung together a near-unbroken streak of a dozen top ten singles that blended the ascendant modes of girl group, 
countrypolitan, and teen pop all before her 20th birthday. Classics like Fool Number no. One, You Can Depend on Me, and Break It to Me Gently. Break it to me gently. Let me down the easy way. That hit, by the way, returned to the Hot 100 in the 80s in a remake by then-hot country pop crossover act Juice Newton, a number 11 hit in 1982. By the time Brenda Lee scored one of her last big pop hits in late 1962, the number three, All Alone Am I, All alone am I, ever since you're goodbye, all alone with just the beat of my heart. A new generation of hitmakers was about to invade our shores led by a band of mop tops that had opened for Brenda when she toured Hamburg, Germany. According to chart historian Joel Whitburn, the top five pop acts of the decade of the 1960s, based entirely around Hot 100 performance, were as follows. Unsurprisingly, the Beatles rank first, right behind them in second place, the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. We can't go on together with suspicious Ranked third for the 60s, R&B legend Ray Charles. I guess if you say so, I'll have to pack my things and go. That's right, hit the road, Jack. And ranked fourth for that decade, again based just on her chart performance, is Brenda Lee. I suppose that the number is far from being small, and I'll bet that I'm the biggest fool of all. According to Whitburn, Lee edges out fifth placers the Supremes, even though Motown's flagship girl group scored a dozen number one hits in that decade. By 1967, as hippie-era musical fashion turned away from Brenda Lee, she scored her final top 40 pop hit with Ride, Ride, Ride. If you're not satisfied, you don't care, get on your horse and ride, ride, ride. And then she didn't miss a beat. Her music had long leaned in the direction of country. So, by 1969, Brenda Lee pivoted re-promoting herself as a country singer and scoring her first country hits since 1957. 
Lee then proceeded to become a major Nashville hitmaker right through the 70s, with such singles as the number five country smash Nobody Wins in 1973, and in 74, her biggest country hit, the twangy Big Four Poster Bed which reached number four. And later I was born there in that big four poster bed. It was just some boards of rough cut pine and a field of patchwork cotton. She collaborated with luminaries in the field, such as the Oak Ridge Boys, Willie Nelson, and, in 1984, on her last major hit, with country legend George Jones. So that's how I know, no. yes I know. I know, hallelujah, I just love him so. When I call her on the telephone. Given her pioneering history with Owen Bradley, plus her years of country hitmaking, in 1997, Brenda Lee was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. She has since been cited as an influence on generations of country pop crossover vocalists, from 60s hitmaker Bobby Gentry, Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down. to 90s megastar Shania Twain, that don't impress me. To the debutante queen of country in the aughts, Carrie Underwood. In 2002, Brenda Lee was also inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She remains the only woman to be honored doubly by both the Country Hall and the Rock Hall. I have been blessed to sing and be on stages most of my life, and this is certainly a stage that I have wanted to be on. It's a long way from the Georgia cotton fields to the Waldorf Astoria, and I can tell you that I owe it to Owen Bradley, and most of all, I owe it to rock and roll. I'm honored. Thank you so very much. So, just to sum up, Brenda Lee was an affirmed legend before age 60, before digital music, and before streaming music rebooted the charts, making it possible for holiday hits to go much higher on the Hot 100 than they ever had before. And that's when Brenda Lee became something new, a 21st century Christmas queen, right alongside Mariah Carey. Lee's Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree started reappearing on the Hot 100 in 2013, when it made a brief comeback at number 50. Two years later, Rockin' came back and reached number 30, then number 27 in 2016, and number 9 by 2018, its first ever appearance in the Billboard Top 10. Remember, the song had peaked in 1960 at number 14. Finally, in 2019, the year Mariah Carey climbed the last mile to number one with All I Want for Christmas Is You, Brenda Lee was directly behind her 
as Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree climbed all the way to number two. This resurgence for Lee's Christmas Chestnut has not come without cost. Of all the statistics I've cited in this episode about artists whose holiday hits are more consumed than their year-round hits, no act presents a more stark example than Brenda Lee. In 2020, Lee's pair of 1960 number one hits were not played very much at all. I'm Sorry was spun fewer than 600 times on terrestrial radio. I'm sorry, so sorry. I Want to Be Wanted less than 200 times. I want to be wanted. Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree was played by U.S. DJs more than 17,000 times. On streaming services, it was played a stunning 177 million times last year, about 50 times as much as I'm Sorry and I Want to Be Wanted combined. Everyone dancing merrily in the new old-fashioned way. Now, this turn of events can be viewed as a glass half-empty or half-full. The near obliteration of Brenda Lee's titanic multi-genre, multi-hit career in favor of just one late-breaking seasonal hit feels a lot like erasure, especially disheartening in a world where so few women have been acknowledged as pioneers as Lee has at all. On the other hand, many early 60s pre-Beatles hits have been blanked on the hit parade in modern times. The few hundred times a year Brenda Lee's other hits are heard on the radio or Spotify could well be the coattails of her Christmas chestnut blockbuster. If even a few rockin' around the Christmas tree fans become curious enough to become Brenda Lee fans— well, she would likely regard that as a blessing. By the way, Lee has now gone back to number two behind Mariah Carey for two straight holiday seasons and, before the end of 2021, is expected to do so again. In the most recent chart week, the streaming, sales, and airplay points separating All I Want for Christmas is You and Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree are getting close enough that Billboard staffers are starting to speculate that Brenda might well mount a challenge to Mariah, if not this year, then some holiday by the mid-2020s. Billboard's Jason Lipschitz and Melinda Newman both prior guests on Hit Parade The Bridge have even suggested that perhaps Carrie might graciously encourage her fans to stream Lee's Christmas Chestnut instead of her own one year, giving the 77-year-old her first number one hit in over six decades. It's delightful to picture Mariah and Brenda teaming up in this way. And one more thing. If Carrie chooses to do this, and Lee decides to make one last run at the top of the charts, Brenda's still kicking. This performance is from 2016, and, barring pandemic limitations, one imagines Little Miss Dynamite would be only too happy to go back out on the road again. 
Brenda Lee is living proof you're never too old to reboot the Christmas party hop. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hit Parade. Our show was written, edited, and narrated by Chris Malanfi. That's me. My producer is Asha Saluja. Asha is also my producer for our monthly Hit Parade The Bridge shows, available exclusively to Slate Plus members. In our latest Bridge episode, Asha and I recap the year in Hit Parade, including highlights from our favorite episodes and letters from listeners. To sign up for Slate Plus and hear that show and all our shows the day they drop, visit slate.com slash hitparadeplus. June Thomas is the senior managing producer and Gabriel Roth, the editorial director of Slate Podcasts. Check out their roster of shows at slate.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to Hit Parade wherever you get your podcasts, in addition to finding it in the Slate Culture feed. If you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us while you're there. It helps other listeners find the show. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to leading the Hit Parade back your way. Until then, keep on marching on the one. I'm Chris Malanfi. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.